Welcome to the Teachers Who Quit podcast, the number one podcast for teachers who quit or really want to. And I'm your host, Tierney, your ex-teacher bestie. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Deborah. I am so excited to have you on the Teachers Who Quit podcast. And to kick us off, I'd love it if you just give us a brief introduction for what you do now. Hi, everyone. I'm Deborah. I am a teacher career coach, and I love to support educators to help them, specifically, I should say, K-12 educators who are feeling underpaid and undervalued in their positions to start up their own evergreen education-based businesses and to generate profitable income streams. That really is my passion as a career coach because in my journey within education, I found out that, number one, a lot of educators do not get the career-specific guidance and support and development that they actually need to grow and continuously give into their profession um, in ways that will you know, support them for not burning out so easily. And so that's really ha- that really has been what has driven me to uh, building out what I do right now and um, being able to be the support system that I, I, I am right now for educators who are inside the classroom and also those who are wanting to leave the classroom as well. Excellent. Thank you for sharing that introduction for us. We're going to go ahead and take it back to the beginning. And so I want for you to tell us about your teaching journey. What initially inspired you to even become a teacher in the first place? Oh, well, this is a funny story because I actually did not want to enter into education. I wanted to do something completely different. I come from a family of uh, educators as well. Uh, my mom owns a school. And so with that lineage, I, I wanted to break out of that, you know, <laughs> formation, if I can use that word. Um, I, I wanted to do something completely different. And when I got to college, I was very determined to not step a foot into education at all and just, you know, do my own thing. And in every, you know, relationship that I built over there in college and every professor that I met, they would always tell me, you know, you would be really good as a, as a teacher. You'd be great as an educator. And I'd be like, no, I'm never doing that. That's not me. And it took me, you know, really getting to my second semester freshman year, um, sitting in a law class and finding out that I was bored out of my mind. And I was like, what am I doing here? And with that question, after that class, I got up, I went into my registrar's office and I said, okay, I'm changing to education. But even prior to that, you know, with the constant um, conversation of you'd be really good as a teacher. I was like, let me, let me find out if, you know, what they say is true. And so I went and I, I took that career specific, um, you know, survey that kind of tells you, uh, what areas or what industries you'd be good at. And education obviously was number one. So with that compiled with the understanding that I was just in a position where I was, I was not fulfilling my duty. I was not fulfilling my calling especially as a Christian, I was like, you know what, I need to just face the music and I need to make a switch and let me see how it goes. So I did that. I didn't even inform any of my family members until I had done it so that nobody would talk me out of it. Um, And then I stepped into the education building and I just felt at peace. I felt like this was home. And with that feeling, I was like, okay, now I know I'm in the right place. And from there on, I just found inspiration, innovation as, 
you know, the tools that were driving me through that entire period of my life in college, learning how to become a teacher, learning how to go through the classroom structure. And mind you, yes, I did grow up in a family that owned a school. And so, you know, the school system was not new to me. I knew what administration looked like. I knew what running a school looked like. So for me, I wanted to go beyond all of that and see what kind of, um, what kind of, creativity or innovation that I personally could add to education um, as it's growing and as it's developing um, within the spaces that we're in right now. So with that, um, graduated college, got into the classroom, had the experience of my own, actually taught in Texas as well. Um, And it was a great experience for me. (laughs) I do love Texas. So it was a really great experience for me. Um, in a sense, but when it comes down to the the classroom culture, and I would say the school culture, it was definitely not. I think I had one of the worst um, first year experiences ever. I was hired um, midway into the year. So not exactly midway, but September, basically. I did not have any classroom resources when I got there. Um, my team teachers had pretty much shared everything between themselves. Nobody gave me anything. Um, <laughs> and the only support system that I had was my team lead um, for the subject area that I was teaching, ELAR. That's uh, reading and writing for any of you that don't know that. Um, and she was the only support system that I had. And she was like, you can do this. Like, I have faith in you. When I saw you in the interview, like, I knew that that's the girl that I want to help me and, you know, to support me in this area. And so um, I was like, okay, I got confidence from that. And I had literally three days, a whole weekend to put my classroom together to start off on the next week. Um, and and that was when my, uh, my what's the word? Um, I would say substitute teacher, yes. <laughs> Guys, I've been outside of the classroom for so long, but that was when my substitute teacher uh, was leaving. Um, so I had literally three days to put my classroom together, to put my structure together, and this was my first year teaching. Um, and I was moving into a new city at the same time. So everything was happening at the same time. Um, I didn't really have a, a space to breathe, a space to uh, feel comfortable, to be kind of walked through the environment. I had one walkthrough with my principal and that was it. Um, I still didn't know where things were in the building, but I had to start and I had to go. But I say that it was both a poor experience and a great experience out of two things. Number one, it was a poor experience because there was no guidance for new teachers. There was no onboarding necessarily for them. Um, There was no coaching involved. It was kind of just like you are thrown into the fire and you have to make sure that you don't get burned as you're moving through it. Um, And at the same time, for me, I saw it as a challenge as an educator to see how far I could push myself and how far I could go with what I had um, in my arsenal to to use in my classroom and as an educator in that space. So it was a yin and yang thing, but I would never recommend such an experience for especially new teachers. I don't think it builds confidence. I don't think it instills the... um, joy of teaching that people need to have unless they have something really strong um, that their education foundation is relying on, which for me was my faith. And I don't think if I didn't have that, I don't think I would have lasted that entire year. Lots of things that you said there. We're going to go ahead and break a few things down. You said that you taught in Texas. Where else have you taught? 
Um, Texas was majorly where I taught. Um, when I did move to New York, I did want to teach there, but I was uh, full-time on in uh, my graduate studies, and I had the opportunity to work with uh, research on the education level, so I didn't do much teaching there. But I have done a little bit of teaching in Nigeria as well, uh, which is where I'm originally from. So where did you get your grad degree from? Um, so NYU, <laughs> New York uh, University, which is a which has been a great experience. And and to be fair, I haven't exactly completed everything that I need to for that degree. I still have a few things left, but um, it has been a great experience just because of the network that you get within that um, ranking of schools, if you want to put it that way. But I feel that, you know, wherever you are led to, to get a degree, you're probably led by the experiences that you see people having there and by the opportunities that you also want to experience and that you also want to, um, grow from as well. So I think that should be the number one motivator for anyone looking for a graduate experience. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you talked about NYU. That's so interesting. So my journey has a very close connection to New York as well. So with me, I was an econ major in college. Okay. Economics, organizational management was my exact major. And I wanted to work on in business. That's what I wanted to do. My college didn't have the traditional business degree because one, they were a women's college. They were liberal arts. So they thought, you know, we must have our um, students do econ. That's going to put them in a better position. So they didn't offer like anything business. Now they do. I'm like years later after I graduated. <laughs> right. So I get as close as I can get to the business um, situation because I, entrepreneurship was always there in my heart. And it's so funny that I'm literally doing that now. Um, so anywho, I was like, well, okay, what do I want to do with this business degree? You can really work in like any type of industry. What do you like? I grew up watching this show. I don't know if you've heard of it. It was on MTV called the Hills in Laguna beach. And so I watched that show and basically the characters there. Okay. In this very bougie area of California, they end up um, working in like the fashion PR side of the industry. And I'm, I'm like, wow, I love this. Like I grew up watching it faithfully. I'm like, this is what I want to do. So I ended up getting a internship on the business side of the fashion industry in New York city was my dream. I probably sent out 200 applications to land this internship. Finally got the internship, went to New York, stayed there over the summer because it was a summer internship. Of course, I was there for maybe like a little over a month. I was like, absolutely not. I ended that internship <laughs> early and I went back to Texas as soon as I possibly could before I went back to college, which my college was in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, and so it's so funny because um, you also mentioned about uh, being a Christian. I am as well. Faith drives everything that I do, every decision that I make. Um, the many times that I've wanted to leave education, I stayed because I knew God wanted me in that season, even though I wanted out so, so, so badly. Um, so literally, when I think about all the treacherous, trauma-filled experiences that I've had as a teacher, I would not have made it through if it wasn't for God giving me the strength each and every day, because there were some days I was so, so miserable. And so, you know, I'm in New York. I'm like, gosh, I'm about to go into my senior year of college. What in the world am I going to do? You know, I'm not loving this internship that was a dream for me. And I'm like, okay, 
at that point, you know, I grew up doing like the religious Christian routine, going to church, yada, yada, yada. But having that personal relationship with God, reading in my word every day, I didn't do that. So at that point, I ended up stumbling across a blog on Twitter. And the um, person was talking about, in order to know what you're created for, you need to know your creator. And I was like, how do I know my creator? And then I was reading more and they're like, one, you need to read his word. Two, you need to pray to him, have a conversation with him. I'm like, oh, that's what's missing. Unfortunately, I wasn't really taught that or the importance of that. So literally from that day on, I got a journal. I got this huge Bible, life application Bible, and I would read the Bible every day. I finished reading the entire Bible in about nine months. And that literally single-handedly changed my course because I was trying to be on the entertainment or the fashion side of these industries. Um, and I ended up becoming an educator because I knew that those other careers I was pursuing was out of selfish ambition versus what I was put on this earth to do. And so with that, I resonate with so many parts of your story, Deborah, and I'm so glad that I learned these things about you. Um, and as we started the recording, I mentioned about my passion for school culture. So love how you tied that in as well. <laughs> So when yeah. you're talking about Texas, I would love to hear more about what type of schools did you teach in in Texas? Um, so I taught majorly in Title I schools, um, the middle school area. I did have an experience in the uh, kindergarten, which was great, but that wasn't a Title I school. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I fell in love with Title I schools because that was where my passion actually, you know, resided as an educator because I grew up in a private school system. I know what it's like to have all the things that you need when you're in the classroom. So I wanted to go in a space where people don't have that luxury so that I can, you know, be able to add to the space and, and bring um, value to that uh, environment and support the students that are in there as well. Because I feel like it also challenged me as an educator um, to see the lengths that I could go to provide the education that I think um, my students deserved. And it was a great experience. I loved it. I love public school, uh, you know, teaching the public school system. I do. Um, I don't love the stress that comes along with it. I don't love the disorganization for uh, that, that come with most. I don't love um, a lot of the um, structures that bring a lot of burden to teachers, but I love the opportunity to support uh, students in whatever level that they're in. And I think that that is what really motivates a lot of public school teachers. And so for me, that was something that I truly um, enjoyed as part of my teaching experience was that I got to feed into the lives of you know, students from any kind of uh, community that could possibly enter into that space or get a chance to be part of that district um, and, and be able to serve them as well. Another connection there, I also went to a private school, a private Christian school, K through 12. So when I found out about the inequity that existed within the education system, I knew I had to serve in Title I schools. So love that. So many connections there. Um, how long were you in the classroom before you quit, Deborah? Um, a total of three years. And to be very to be very honest, I actually didn't quit per se. I just never went back. <laughs> if I can, if I can say it that way. Um, I, I left the classroom to focus head on with my um, with my 
master's degree just because it was a it's, it's a really hands-on program and you have to do an internship that isn't in the classroom and all of those things and so because I did not have the time to be in the classroom I couldn't go back but since being part of that master's program seeing the iniquities in the education space that I wanted to um, have a chance to to change through um the, the opportunities that I had and also through uh, the innovative ideas that I had as well, I just could never go back to the classroom with that vision in mind. Understood here. And I, you touch on something very interesting. People are so uncomfortable with that word quit. And it's like, well, you left the profession, right? And I, I say that I quit, I do. And I think it's so funny because I, I think there's a stigma around that. Like people don't want to say I quit. I quit. I gave up on the kids. No, no, no. And it's like, no, you finish your commitment. I just call it quitting. Um, hence the name of my podcast, Teachers Who Quit. I call myself a teacher who quit because I finished my contract out June 2021 and I said goodbye. I will not be renewing it. And so I think that that's very interesting, um, a point for you to bring up because I feel that a lot of people do get uncomfortable with that. Um, when a lot of people mm -hmm. see the name of my podcast, they're like teachers who quit. And then they're like, but you're an, you're an assistant principal. I'm like, yeah, because at the end of the day, I'm, I'm human first. And the most mm -hmm. important thing is that people are feeling joy in their every day because life is mm -hmm. very, very short. And I think COVID taught people that. Um, yeah. So um, we can use the terminology you would prefer. And so when I'm asking you these next questions, um, my number one thing is when did you know that you wanted to fulfill your commitment and not return? I'll put it that way for you. <laughs> no, we can definitely use quit. Um, but I actually did not, I, again, I, I didn't know until I stepped into the vision that I had. And I would say it was something that followed me from college because I, I remember sharing that I had this really big desire to make a big change in education or to add into education. And I just knew that I couldn't do that just from the classroom. Um, and, and that was another reason why I jumped into my master's program because it was gonna you know, open the doors that I needed to get the experience that I needed um, and exposure that I wanted as well so that I can do what I do today, which is support educators in building up their career paths, whether it's in entrepreneurship or it's still in the classroom space, but developing that professional side of their lives so that they are they don't feel, you know, trapped in the classroom and that, you know, if they want to leave, they don't they don't know exactly what to do <laughs> after that. So I, I knew that I wanted to support that particular area of uh, the educator life cycle, and I just knew that I couldn't do it from the classroom. So I guess for me, it was it was when I decided to go into my graduate pro uh, program instead of renew my contract. Um, that was that was the day that I decided to pretty much quit the classroom <laughs> at that moment and uh, move forward with what that vision had for me. Okay, so what exactly um, is your master's in? So the master's program is in international education, and um, in that branch of international education, there's actually different um, areas you can focus in. Personally, my focus was on the research and the uh, development side of education, um, and that's kind of where you get exposed to uh, what the UN does to support education on an international scale. 
Uh, that's where you also get the opportunity to work alongside international educator researchers all around the world and just kind of implement a lot of strategies that affect education globally, um, but also support education in a lot of rural areas that are still growing and needing even just the basics of education as well. Okay, so you talk a little bit about um, knowing that basically the vision you had that I'm going to say, you know, that God put in your heart really mm -hmm. was not going to be able to be fulfilled in the seat of a classroom teacher. So that's why you chose to pursue right. other opportunities outside of that. Um, you also talk about how in your, uh, I will say like your elevator pitch, so to speak, like what you do in, in the nutshell about being under underfulfilled and then underpaid. So is that kind of how you were feeling before you decided to not return to the classroom? Absolutely. I, I felt unfulfilled and underpaid. Well, more so underpaid, <laughs> if I can elaborate on that a little bit more. But it was not just about my experience, but also the experiences of the educators that were around me. Um, kind of going back to the first year experience that I elaborated on a little bit, that year, literally all but five teachers quit from that entire campus by the end of the year. That said something to the way the culture was for not just the teachers, but the students. And me being able to witness that in my own personal journey and also the, the teachers around me just gave me a lot of insight to how unfulfilled people felt and unappreciated. And, you know, just, just so much of the the undervaluement of educators and what they bring to the table, specifically teachers, if I can say that myself. I love administrators and I love what they do, but I still think that teachers still are not identified for the, for the beauty that they bring into the classroom. And so having seen that in my own experience and other teachers, that was really <laughs> the, the, the fire that lit that passion into light. And um, it did take a while for it to bloom and to push me out of there, but then eventually I, I definitely had to go for it. 100% teachers are vital to education. What, what do you have if you don't have teachers? What do you have if you don't have students? We know that because attendance drives everything. Uh, but other than that, you know, if you don't have people in the seat to teach those, you know, kids wanting a quality education, what do you have? So I mm -hmm. definitely see that as valuable. Even now as an administrator and proud to be one, worked very hard to get here, I still, um, resonate with what you're saying about the value that educators bring to the work. Um, so how did you feel after you decided to not return to teaching? You talked about what it was like before and how you were feeling. What's it like now? Mm -hmm. Well, I can, I can transition from when I recently quit up till this point. And when I recently quit, I, that was when I really experienced the brunt of, oh my goodness, teachers are not, you know, built to <laughs> experience the professional life outside of the classroom if they quit. Because um, there's just like so much uh, that you don't know uh, professionally and how to develop yourself on how to make sure that you are showcasing your value in a way that can be appreciated in other industries if you want to do that or still in education, but other positions if you want to transition. And I felt the grunt of that because I, I it felt like I had to start from scratch, but it was okay because 
I, I realized it was important for me to learn that and to be able to build that up for myself and then be able to show it and share it with others. And then to this point, I really, I really enjoy where I am right now, being able to support teachers, especially those who are wanting to build their own businesses and to find fulfillment still in the industry, but just through another route. I think it's a great um experience and a great privilege for me because I get to motivate other educators to step into their power and to step into their creativity and to be proud of that and to build out a career that is something that they want to be able to march on and share with the world. And it's not negative. It's a positive feeling. It's um, something that gives them joy and illuminates their, their desire to continue on with education. So doing that work makes you feel what? If you could give me a one word statement, how are you feeling? Um, I feel excited, honestly. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. And that's a beautiful transformation. So <clears throat> how long was it before you actually decided to quit or not return to the profession? So from the initial thought that came to your mind from that date to the date that you actually did not return, how long was that gap of time? Um, I would say about maybe like five months because it was after the third experience of teaching. So like that was, like I said, it was the year that I decided to jump into my um, master's program. So like literally the the second semester of that teaching year, I just decided I was not going to go back and I was going to go for the master's program. Awesome. So I know that we are both in Vanessa Lau's Boss Graham Academy, and I'm so curious. And how did you initially find Vanessa? Oh, that was hilarious. I actually found her through YouTube. <laughs> I was uh, looking up, I think that was when I decided to uh, put in more effort in using social media as a business outlet. And then I found her on YouTube. I think I followed her on YouTube for a whole year before I jumped into her program. Wow, a whole year. That is much longer <laughs> than me. I was literally like, okay, it was the end of 2020 and I was like I know that I want to shape school culture like I told you I went into I got that awesome position as a dean which was my dream job dean of school culture mm -hmm. dean of school culture but there was no guarantee at that point that I was actually going to get that job it was just me one I finished my principal certification here in the state of Texas um, if I wanted to stay in the public school where I currently was at for several years, I needed to have that principal cert to be even a dean position. Now, in charters, they don't necessarily require that, which is very funny. I'm like, I went through this whole 18 month program and now, you know, I'm in this charter network that doesn't even require a principal cert, which is insane. But we'll talk about that at another time. Um, so anywho, it was like 2020. And I was like, okay, it's about to be 2021. You know, you're not going to return back to this classroom at, after June 2021. So you need to make a plan from January to June. If let's say nobody hires you, 
okay? You need a backup on how you can pivot into this work of, you know, shaping school culture because you are not returning to this classroom again. So that's mm-hmm. when literally right after Christmas, heading into New Year, I found Vanessa, took that, um, what is that, followers to clients webinar that she has, Evergreen Running, and immediately enrolled. And I was like, this is the biggest investment I've ever made, but I've got to make it happen. She had too many receipts where I was like, okay, okay, you know, I, I can trust her. <laughs> so I was just like, yeah. I need to stick to my stomach to pay for that course. But I have happily made that investment back time and time over again. So it is definitely well worth it. And so, you know, it was a very quick decision for me to make. Um, and it's so funny, too, because Vanessa talks about how she did YouTube for bosses. I bought the first ever YouTube for bosses course from Sunny Leonard Doozy, the very first time she ever released it in 2017, which she now does not offer any longer. But I got it and it was ninety seven dollars at that point, which is wow. insane insane <laughs> but um i'm like oh that's so funny she she joined um youtube for bosses and yeah now she's like this seven figure multi seven figure entrepreneur which is awesome so um very interesting how you discover her and that time link before you decided to pull the plug so for those who do not know who vanessa Lau is she helps beginner coaches sign their first paid client and so i'm curious deborah what sparked your interest about becoming a coach specifically when there are so many different avenues you could pursue as an entrepreneur um i love hands-on experiences and i think that coaching really brings that to the table especially when it comes to the work that I want to do with educators in career development and business growth. I I love the aspect of being able to walk through the information with someone and seeing them grow from that impact. And I think coaching really uh, embodies all of that, to be very honest. Plus, I'm someone that, you know, I love to talk to. So I was like, you know, this is a perfect fit. Um, plus, it gives me that the, the best of both worlds when it comes to implementation and, and consultation as well and, and mentorship. I think it really just brings all of those pieces together under one umbrella that supports it. And so for me, coaching was, was, was definitely, you know, the, the it thing for me. And before that, even, I've always admired the idea of coaching people into being better at what they're doing. So that definitely was icing on the cake. So did you always envision yourself pursuing this route of being an entrepreneur? Absolutely not. <laughs> I thought I was going to be a curriculum developer. Um, uh, that, was, that was, yeah, completely different lane of everything. Um, so entrepreneurship was not something that I thought I was going to jump into. It's not new for me because, again, I do have family that are entrepreneurs, so I know what it's like to build a business. Um, so I have all of these experiences, but I just never thought it would be for me. I just thought my path was different. But I'm really excited that it's not, and I'm pumped to see how it's going to continuously grow. So you're a teacher career coach from, I'm guessing, the beginning of when you first started, you know, Vanessa's program and maybe you made other investments to get where you are today. I'm not sure. But did you always start out with that term, teacher career coach, or did you pivot? 
Um, absolutely, I started out with that term and I stuck with it. And there are times that um, I got tempted to like change it and I was like, maybe I should just, but no, I, I really wanted that career aspect to be in play because there are teacher coaches out there now. I mean, I know coaching in the in the teaching space is, um, it's not very new, but it's still new. Um, but I wanted it to be significantly different in the aspect of I'm focusing on your career as opposed to um, classroom strategies or how to be um, a better teacher and things like that. Like, I, that's not that's not an issue for me to cover. But I wanted to make sure that people knew the difference of, you know, growing professionally as an educator as opposed to um, being a better, you know, classroom teacher. Absolutely. So with that, how do you package your services? I know you help unfulfilled and underpaid K-12 educators start evergreen EDU businesses to generate profitable income streams. Do you help them one-on-one -on -one or how is your method for your um, support? Um, I currently have uh, one program that I'm running at the moment and it's one-on-one. -on -one. Um, I, like I said, I, I really um, think that the value in what I have to offer comes in very significantly when it's hands-on and it's that uh, in interpersonal contact um, and relations. So um, it is a one-on-one -on -one, uh, experience with teachers. And I do have another offer that's a VIP day. It's more of like a one-day consultation um, session, but that is just, you know, if you really need a quick um, support system or a quick uh, result or solution for something, um, that's when I offer that particular um, piece. But I usually just go with the one-on-one -on -one coaching support. How long is your program? My program is actually 12 months because I am a big believer in giving people time to grow and develop but not in a way that will make them um, lazy <laughs> or um, make them, um, what's the word, kind of uh, procrastinate on what they have to do. In my program, there's set things that you have to be able to accomplish at every month in time. So it kind of gives you that opportunity to grow um, in a timeline measurement so that by the time you're done at the 12th month, you don't need me anymore. And that's my whole entire purpose. So are there resources that people watch before meeting with you one-on-one -on -one and then you have some kind of debriefing or coaching development session or how is it structured format-wise? Absolutely. So I have different ways that people can experience what I have to offer before they meet with me for my one-on-one -on -one consultation. I do have a, an event that I host three times a, a year. It's called the Becoming an Entrepreneur Masterclass. That's like the big event that I host and it's like two hours long, but it is a very hands-on masterclass um, opportunity. People learn, people uh, collaborate and people grow from the information. Um, and then you get to learn more about my program through that masterclass. But apart from that, I also have like a, a, a private Facebook group where I constantly build a community that is passionate about growing in their career paths. All right. So I've seen you in so many clubhouse rooms. How has yes. clubhouse helped your business, Deborah? Um, I think it has brought a lot of um, unique aspects to light in my business. I know that clubhouse is a space that I thrive in as a business owner just because I love to talk more about the 
opportunities and, and more about um, information than write it or anything like that. So um, Clubhouse is really giving me that opportunity to bring to light value to people through audio um, functions and to also collaborate on a, on a massive level with other entrepreneurs that I've been able to meet there, other fantastic educators as well who are passionate about growing their own businesses. And so it's been a space that has affected me greatly as a business owner and also as an educator. And I definitely promote it to anyone who wants to grow in that way too. Yeah, definitely. Um, so with Clubhouse or with social media, so you, you're on Clubhouse, I know you're on Instagram, any other social platforms you utilize? I do have a YouTube channel. <laughs> I do have a YouTube channel and um, it's there for majorly the purpose of supporting uh, teachers who are still in the classroom, but it's for everyone who wants to benefit from the videos as well. So, um, so yeah, I guess I'm on Instagram, Clubhouse, uh, Facebook group, and um, YouTube as well. Awesome. And so what would you say has been the most um, successful in helping you generate leads for your business? I would definitely say Clubhouse has been the most successful. I think it's just the space that really gives people an opportunity to identify value um, as opposed to other platforms. And I think that's majorly because of what people have experienced during the pandemic. Um, people are definitely fed up with <laughs> fake and are really in need of something that is genuine and real and Clubhouse helps to illuminate that. So for me, I definitely will say Clubhouse has been a huge um, success in my business, but I still love the idea of Instagram, of YouTube, and Facebook groups. I still think they're instrumental and influential. All right, you were breaking up there a little bit at the end, but I think we got the gist of it. I'm curious okay. on what are your holy grail resources that you use often for your work as a teacher, career coach, and running your business? Oh, okay, this is really fun. Uh, my number one is Notion and I say Notion because number one, it's free to start using it. But number two, it has so many functionalities that a lot of normal course platforms or anything like that would usually host and provide at a certain cost. And I think Notion is a great place to start if especially you're new to entrepreneurship and you don't have a lot of funds to spend on building a business or anything like that. Um, I definitely think Notion is a great space to start on. So it's my number one platform. Um, my number two platform is Flowdesk. I love it because I'm an advocate for email marketing. If you're wanting to grow anything at all, email marketing should be your first um, sign up system because it will give you that opportunity to stay connected with people. And Flowdesk really has amazing outlines um, at the delivery, deliverability support. There we go. Um, is really amazing so far. It's been one of the best experiences I've had. So it is also affordable um, if you have a connection and affiliate link to sign up with. So it is a great resource to use. So those are my top two. Um, if I have a third one, I would say it's Airtable because Airtable gives you that ability to be 
you know, very organized um, in any aspect of your business, um, in anything that you want to work on with clients. Um, there are so many different templates, formats you can possibly use to just kind of stay organized. Um, so with that, those three are my favorite. So would you say Airtable is similar to like Asana or ClickUp? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, it's, yeah. They're all the same thing. <laughs> They, d they just look different great. and then offer different things. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. I'm a ClickUp fan. That's what I use. Um, yeah. I don't dabble in anything else. Just like I love HoneyBook. I don't like Dubsado or anything else. So those are my preferences. <laughs> I depend. It depends on really who you follow and who you're influenced by to get you to sign up for whatever, unless you just have the time to try out many different tools. Interesting, you mentioned Flowdesk. Um, I definitely saw when they were running like their $19 join lifetime. I definitely did not move over to that. Um, low key regret it a little bit, but if I do make that pivot, you know, I know that it'll be great. I loved it when I was on the trial, um, but I just ended up sticking with what I use now, which is MailChimp. And I know they have it free up until a certain time, and I'm pretty good about um, going through and removing out any people who are no longer a relevant audience for me or who are no longer interested that's very important especially for your email open retention rates very mm -hmm. critical to clean that email inbox out um and those subscribers out that are no longer active um thank you for sharing those resources so I would love to know, too, what is the resource that you would recommend for someone who is listening to this podcast a teacher who would like to quit and plans on quitting and wants to become a teacher career coach to help other people who are in the profession of education start profitable businesses. What resource would you recommend for them? Um, I would actually recommend two. <laughs> Number one, to listen to this podcast um, because I think it's important to hear what other people have experienced as well to kind of give you insight to what you can possibly do if you decide to leave the classroom, to decide to quit the classroom. And then number two, I highly recommend my masterclass because, not because it's mine or anything like that, but because I've poured in a lot of information there that is foundational, especially for educators who want to enter into business that I've found out personally a lot of people don't touch upon, especially those that call themselves business coaches or things like that, which is another reason why I appreciate Vanessa, but that's for another conversation. But, um, <laughs> you know, I, I touched upon a lot of really concrete things that a lot of educators don't know about when they're entering into business. Um, and so it is, it is free at the moment. And I, I really appreciate when people are able to grow and develop from that. And I've I've had really great responses towards the masterclass and I've just heard a lot of great stories, motivational that I think is something that I want anyone to be able to experience as they're transitioning into that position themselves. Yes, for anyone who is listening, um, the resources that Deborah is referencing from our masterclass to what have you will be linked down below in the show notes. But before we go, Deborah, can you share where can the listeners connect with you online? Awesome. Um, so I'm, I basically live on Instagram. So you always feel free to DM me over at the Purposeful Educator. And I'll be sure to connect with you over there. But if you're on Clubhouse as well, feel free to connect with me at Deborah Osomo. 
And last but not least, um, feel free to email me anytime that you want at Deborah uh, at thepurposefuleducator.com. And I would love to chat with you, uh, learn about your journey, learn about what you want to do and accomplish and be able to support you however best I can. Thank you so much, Deborah. Thank you for listening to the Teachers Who Quit podcast. Keep listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Subscribe and leave us a review to get a shout out on our socials. And remember to shamelessly choose you.